The Clixie Podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. Being able to understand and predict accurately what they're going to do next and also therefore be able to sequentially send them stories across devices, that's, that's where we need to get to next. This is the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast, and I'm going to be joined today by Matt Nash. We'll be discussing how ad agencies have had to evolve, combining rich data insights and creativity to produce powerful advertising. So I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Matt Nash. Matt's the managing partner UK at Neo at Ogilvy. And over the past 18 years, Matt has gained extensive digital media experience working for a variety of blue chip businesses and startups. Prior to joining Ogilvy, Matt spent three years as VP Europe for the Exchange Lab, creator of Proteus, the world's first meta DSP technology. And in his earlier career, he was the founder and CEO of OO Social, one of the UK's first social media agencies, and was the managing director of Faceparty.com, a pioneer social network which launched in 2000 and developed a community of 6 million UK users between 2000 and 2009. So, Matt, I'd like to welcome you to the ClickZ Digital Podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. It's great to spend time with you again. It's been it's been too many years. It has indeed, yeah. It has been a few years now, but it's. I think we'll get get into some of that evolution because um, both you and I have kind of interacted over the years and and uh, seen some of the changes. And it'd be it'd be great to hear more about that. So actually, why do we kick off? And could you tell us a bit more about your story? I, I gave sort of the the highlights there, but could you tell us about how you got started in advertising? How you ended up doing what you're doing? What what are the sort of the big changes you've seen in the last few years? Sure. Well. I guess my digital journey started back in, in 2000 when I was fortunate enough to join The Guardian. Uh, the Guardian had launched a, a recruitment website called workthing.com. Uh, and so I joined them as part of their, their growing sales team. And I spent four and a half great years working at The Guardian, uh, building out the, the sales function and, and the offering. When that kind of, I guess that came to a natural end and I'd started to hear about this new thing called social media. And to be honest with you, I didn't know much about it. Um, but I started to explore more and more, and, it, and it, it just got more and more interesting the closer I got to it. Um, and I was then fortunate enough to be um, approached by Face Party to come and join them as their commercial director. Face Party was, I guess, the UK's first major social network, probably the second social network ever, uh, founded in 2000, so a year or so behind Friendster. Um, and but the point I joined it was it was you know five million unique users per month, which was a phenomenal amount of people back in the day. So I joined them and I went on an amazing three-year journey and really saw how social media went from this kind of environment where advertisers and brands wanted to stay very very clear of to what it what it's now become as the, the place where you need to be if you want to have conversations with audiences. So. I was proud to be part of that journey. It was it was phenomenal to to see that to see that happen and to see that grow. Um, and I guess throughout my career, I've tried to spot the next big thing and get in just before it kind of goes mainstream. So when I finished Face Party, I started my own social media agency, and we were building apps for you know a wide variety of clients, both Facebook and uh, other social media apps, but also apps specifically for the iPhone and for, for Android. Uh, and then once that had, again reached a natural conclusion, I, I'd started to hear about programmatic. And so, again, read more and more about that and decided that that was going to be the next big thing. And so was fortunate enough to join the, 
the Exchange Lab, uh, you know, an independent startup. And again, another three-year phenomenal journey helping them to, to build out their proposition uh, across the globe, specifically in Europe. Um, and again, that was a journey that culminated in a, in a successful exit to, to Group M in, in December of 2015. So, um, yeah, fortunate enough to have been part of the social revolution and, and the programmatic revolution. Um, and so I, I, I found myself at, the, I guess, a, a, a natural crossroads. And I'd never worked inside of an agency before, not a big network agency. And it had always appealed to me. Um, and I was, again, fortunate enough to be approached by by Neo to come and join them as their managing partner for the UK. And so I, I joined that business nine months ago, this business nine months ago. And uh, it feels like nine minutes ago I haven't stopped. It, it's it's phenomenal and an amazing place, amazing people. And I thoroughly enjoy it and feel very fortunate to to have landed here. And it's amazing that you've been involved in two of the most fast moving trends and technologies over the last kind of decade, you know, first of all, social and, and then now programmatic, two really big areas. I suppose now at Neo, that pulls together both of those insights and those understandings. Could you explain a little bit more about what Neo does? Most people will, I'm sure, have heard of Ogilvy, but specifically, what does Neo at Ogilvy do? Yeah, so Neo um, was founded 11 years ago, and it was founded from within Ogilvy, so it wasn't an acquisition. It was born because Ogilvy realised that, that digital media was only going to get bigger and stronger, uh, and they wanted to, uh, to play a part in that. Neo is now 1,200 people globally, 40 offices in 32 countries, so it, it, it's a pretty big beast. Um, and, and really, our mission is to to make creative-led, data-enhanced performance advertising valuable to both brands and consumers. So, as, as you alluded to, we uh, we deliver PPC, SEO, social, display programmatic, uh, and, uh, and affiliate services for a wide variety of you know some of the world's largest businesses uh, and some more local clients as well. So, we're very much at that performance end of the spectrum, uh, helping brands deliver sales effectively. Great. Well, thanks for explaining a little bit more about uh, what Neo does. What would you say have been the biggest challenges and changes that you've noticed as the ad industry has evolved over the last few years? So, I guess the biggest thing for me personally is just is fragmentation, the proliferation of um, of the ways people are now consuming media across a massive variety of devices and how there are so many different channels and so many different pieces of content that somebody can consume from the professional content created by the by the big players through to obviously user generated content and so that has just given an awful lot of power to the consumer and i think from an advertising point of view it's meant that brands have had to cho- totally rethink how they approach how they approach the market you can't you know, back in the day, you if you wanted to reach a huge audience, you'd just run a TV campaign and you'd, you'd, you'd hit, you know, the majority of the people that you wanted to. That's just not the case now. And you need to, as an advertiser, think about those different ways of, of, of communicating with, with a consumer and, and the devices and how you're best creating content for, for whatever medium it is. So, you know, it's not a 30-second TV slot anymore. Is it a six-second you know, very short piece of snackable content that you, you, you push out across social media, or is it a, a large you know, homepage takeover delivered programmatically, or is it buying programmatic TV now? So I think it's just, there's been a fundamental shift in the way people consume media and therefore advertisers are having to totally change how they approach it. And it's become much more complicated. In the old days, we used to talk about something called an integrated agency, which sounded 
like a like a great concept at the time it's like oh yeah of course we're sharing ideas but actually people don't really talk about integrated anymore but what you're talking about does have the same sort of thinking in that it's a it's a media neutral idea which is going to resonate with the consumers do you think that agencies have had to fundamentally rethink the way they are structured and the way they work well i think some agencies have been better at it than than, than others you know some have really embraced technology and have decided to, to go out there and build their own own stack others have decided that the right way to go is is, is to partner with with best of breed solutions and really there's no there's no right or wrong way of approaching whilst how we communicate with consumers has changed the fundamentals haven't changed ultimately it's about understanding from an agency's point of view the client's goals and building a plan to best deliver against those and, and working in working in partnership yes in the main agencies have, have done a pretty good job of keeping up with with, with innovation um but there's the pace of change is so fast that it's it's not always easy yeah and you mentioned clients there quite recently png have been very vocal about the standards which they expect their agencies to be delivering and, and getting rid of the sort of middlemen. Do you think that the change is being driven by the client or is there a role for agencies to actually educate and to bring in the latest thinking and share that with the clients? Well, I, I, again, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, clients have become far more educated over the last you know, few years, certainly from a programmatic point of view. When I was first talking to clients about it in 2011, it, it was kind of a mystery to them and they didn't really understand it, or the majority didn't. That's certainly not the case now. I think they're, they're starting to uh, delve much deeper into what actually happens. And also what's, what's happened, of course, is clients are, are dedicating more money towards programmatic and therefore they are wanting to look a little bit more closely. You know, when you were spending you know, half, one, two percent on, on something, you kind of you didn't have time to pay that much close attention to it. If it's now 10, 15, 20, 30 or, or more percent of your budget, then you really need to understand what goes, in, what goes into it. And I think it's only right that, that clients are questioning agencies and the ecosystem regarding uh, what's actually being delivered. There is concern regarding the, the, the quality and, and, and whether or not we are in fact working and, and making money for criminal networks. So I think it's only only right that clients are, are pushing pushing their agencies in, in that direction. Um, I think some, some agencies, again, have been very, very quick to get on the front foot and, and, and take an approach to clients. I know that we do that here at here at Ogilvy and at Neon, I know that you know the wider Group M business does the same thing. We take it very seriously, and we try and take a leadership role in that, so that we're not we're not making it the client's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility to to ensure that that clients are getting what they think they're getting and they're getting value from it. Talking about being able to stay up to date with the latest thinking, you, you touched on a few issues there, you know, ad fraud being one of them, obviously programmatic is the technology underlying that is accelerating at such a fast pace. What have you found is an effective way for your teams to be able to stay up to date on programmatic? I mean, is it things like online courses like Squared Online? Should they be reading things? You know, what's the best way to stay up to date? Yeah, we encourage a wide range of activities from, from courses that that we put on ourselves and also external courses that maybe some of our uh, supplier technology partners themselves create. But as a team here, we have a, a policy of sharing as much content as we can amongst ourselves and not just amongst the programmatic specialists, but across the whole agency. So we have a, you know, we have a, a regular, regular team meeting where we talk about the, the latest topics of the day and we debate and discuss what we think Neo's approach should be. 
it's vital that we all keep ourselves up to date and abreast. And it's, it's vital that we try and help our, our peers and our colleagues understand what's going on as well. We sometimes get so busy with the day job that it's difficult to sometimes come up for air and, and start to, to, to read what's going on. But personally, I spend at least, well, I get into work slightly early. I spend the first half an hour of the morning reading all the, all the latest and greatest thought leaders around around technology and, and advertising to, to keep myself up to speed so that when I'm meeting with clients, I have a position on on, on the on the things that are being discussed yeah and i'd love to to pick your brains further on that maybe um off off air uh, so i can get a few more guests online um here on the podcast to be able to sharing some of those innovators and pioneers with a, a wide audience one thing we haven't got on to yet is data i i'm keen to open that up because i know that's an area that you're passionate about as well um but first we're going to take a quick break hi there it's tim here and i've got a favor to ask If you're enjoying listening to the Clixie podcast today, could you please leave us a quick review? Just navigate to the review tab in iTunes or Stitcher and either share some stars or leave a comment. Not only would I be really, really grateful, but this also helps other people to discover the podcast. Thanks so much in advance. Now back to the podcast. So before the break, we heard from Matt about some of the changes that have happened in the advertising industry. And one of the biggest trends, one of the biggest challenges for advertising agencies and media agencies alike is data. Data underpins programmatic. It underpins pretty much everything we're doing. So my question to Matt now is, Matt, do you think ad agencies really understand the power of data? And what are you doing specifically at Neo to address that? So uh, good question. Yes, I think we absolutely understand the power of data. But, but let me also say from the outset that Data is just one element of, of the puzzle, if you like. Uh, we're very passionate believers in, in, in the creative element also. Um, I think for a number of years, certainly in the programmatic sphere, we got so kind of focused on the data and maybe the pipes that we forgot that we still needed to create an emotion in somebody through the message. And so to, to my end, data and creative are equally important, and we can talk about creative probably a bit later. In, in terms of data, yes, we, we, we are, we, we, we're true believers in the power of it, and if, it, if it's applied correctly, it can really add huge value to, to an advertiser's you know, journey and, 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 and campaigns. Um, there are obviously all sorts of different types of data, from first-party data that is, that is owned by the client themselves, so data that they have through people visiting their website or through their own CRM programs. Um, and I think that's probably the most powerful form of data that, that exists. Um, there's also second party data, which is effectively somebody else's first party data. So it could be a publisher that we do a deal with on behalf of an advertiser so that our advertiser or our client has access to that publisher's first party data. And then, of course, there are a myriad of third-party data providers in the market, people who have collected cookies or device IDs on a, on a bunch of people and segmented that audience into, into interest areas. So you know, we, we use data in a wide variety of ways. Um, the biggest challenge over the last two or three years has been working with clients to realize the potential of their own first-party data. A lot of clients have, have data. And they talk about wanting to use it, but they don't really know how to get started. So one of the things that we do at Neo is advise clients on some of the some of the ways that they can activate their data, whether that's building their own repository or working with a third-party data management platform to, to bring that to life. So I think that any decent agency has a, has a strong understanding of data and the power. 
Um, we just believe that at Neo it needs to be coupled with the creative piece as well. I definitely want to come back to that question about the creative because I think that's a really interesting blend. But specifically with regards to data specialists now, one of the things that I've discussed with other guests here on the podcast is the, the rise of almost a data specialist within an agency. And we've talked about the concept of maybe even having a data desk within the agency, almost in, in the same way in which some uh, media buying agencies have had a buying desk that will you know buy in the media and have specialists there. Do you think that's a, a trend that we're going to see more of the emergence of a data specialist and, and data desks? Well, certainly we are, you know, the, the type of people that we're looking to hire here at, at NEO is you know, changing rapidly. We're looking for, you know, maths and science graduates more and more, those people who truly understand data and also truly understand how the whole piece fits together. So the difficulty, of course, is everybody's looking for the same people and there aren't that many of them. So they're in high demand. If you can find a a good one, you're going to have a great advantage. We've got our own data and analytics team here at NEO. Uh, we have some very, very bright people within that team. And we're always looking for more, looking for the right people to, to grow. We kind of almost have a, an, an open headcount on that. If we find somebody that we think will add value, then then we, we, we will hire them. In terms of your question around regarding a, a, a data desk, I'm not sure. Um, data is integral to to you know the trading piece for us and everything that we do. So it's kind of part of, of, of our existing kind of programmatic infrastructure. Whether we need an actual data desk, I don't know. I believe, I'd say, I think first-party data is far more powerful than third-party data in the main. And therefore, having a data desk, I, I don't know that whether that's something that we would necessarily build here at NEO. Um, I think it's, it's helping clients unlock the potential of their own data that's more important than you know plugging into more and more third-party data sources. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Just then coming on to that point about the creative, and are there some examples that you can share where you've seen clients or maybe you've worked to help clients facilitate a, a new campaign which has accessed that first party data brought it in and then created a, a, a very compelling creative campaign based around those data insights you know, we work with a, a number of, of big global clients here ibm and sage being two that come to mind and we certainly activate and utilize their first party data and certainly with ibm we're doing some work with with uh, with Watson, their cognitive bid optimizer tool, and we have a, a really nice case study we'll be releasing there into the market in the near future. The challenge is always how do you get the creative and the media agency to work together? One of the reasons I joined NEO is because NEO is part of Ogilvy, Ogilvy is a creative agency, so in theory it should be easier for us to come together and I have seen examples of where that where that works. I think it's getting the getting the right order, getting things done in the right order. I still think, you know, I'm a bit old school, I still think that the idea, the creative idea is still the first place to start. I still think if you can come up with a fantastic idea, then the advert will be shared and people will, will, will see it. You know, I think uh, personally, from a few years back, the Cadbury's uh, advert featuring the gorilla was one that I know was shared hugely widely and, and, and everybody saw it. Now, did they apply an awful lot of data to, 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 to get that out there? Possibly in the, in the outset, but then it just took on a, on, a, on a life of its own. What we do here at NEO is we try and get all the parties around the table as soon as we can. So if we're the media agency and we're working with a creative partner or a production agency. So our part in that process is to say, look, this is the insight, this is the research, this is the data that we have. How can that help and inform the creative agency from a creative point of view? How can they take their idea 
there and then the, the big idea. Couple that with the data and the insights that we have, either first or second or third party data, and then how can that come together in, a, in, a, in an execution piece? How do we personalize that creative to, to an individual? And how do we keep refreshing that? How do we constantly test and, and learn and optimize throughout the campaign? Because that's, again, that's the beauty, isn't it? You haven't got to, you know, you build an advert and, and, and send it out there for three months. You don't have to do that now. You can iterate as you go and test and learn and and you know a b test as you go and, and start to show more of the creative that's resonating so it's it's something that we're, we're doing more of and we're getting better at are we brilliant at it no but we are trying and we think it's key so you mentioned then segmentation and mm-hmm. a, a personalization as well and i think definitely personalization is sort of the holy grail for advertisers if you like what you were describing seemed like you know you're able to get a, a vast amount of data to understand the intentions, the needs, the behaviors of your of your target audience. But how are you now activating that to be able to then present personalized ads? Do you, do you feel we have the technology yet to be able to get down to a very granular relationship with those one-to-one ads? So I think we can personalize. We're, we're, we're reasonable at personalizing, understanding. But if we, if we think about it, what we're good at is understanding previous um activity we're not that good at the moment at predicting the future and so that i think that's something that will, will will start to happen more and more over time is that we'll get better at predicting what someone's about to do rather than knowing what they did previously and hoping that we can kind of use that as a as a proxy to deliver the right ad it's about understanding what we think they're going to do next that's when it gets really clever another thing that i think we need to move towards is the is the ability to tell stories sequentially so that you can take that user on a journey over a period of time um, to give them, I guess, a stronger idea of what your brand is and what it stands for and why you're a brand that they should be interested in. Clearly, we have some challenges around being able to follow the consumer across devices. You know, the walled gardens make it very difficult for, for us to really join the dots there. So. Whilst I think we can personalize based on someone's future, oh, sorry, past activities, being able to understand and predict accurately what they're going to do next and also therefore be able to sequentially send them stories across devices, that's, that's where we need to get to next. So it's interesting you touch upon the challenge of being able to identify the customer across lots of different touch points in a sequence there because of course the single customer view is um, a massive challenge for both advertisers and marketers alike both online and offline so have you seen any initiatives using technology that allow advertisers to identify the same user across devices and how successful have they been i have to be honest and say that there's been limited uh limited success there's always an element of, of guesswork that, that that goes into being able to do it across every Every device and every uh, every place. So I think we, we're we're quite a long way away from that. I think until we get everybody uh, opening their data up, then it's going to be very difficult to do that with any degree of certainty. I know there are a lot of you know mobile specialists out there, companies like AdBrain, who are who are trying to piece it together from a probabilistic point of view and doing a decent job at that. It has to be said but it's still probabilistic rather than deterministic and therefore it has limitations and you have to be prepared to um, accept some level of inaccuracy ultimately. But I think that people are really trying uh, and I'm sure that given a little more time and a little more 
technology we'll, we'll, we'll get to that point we, we need to I think that the danger you've got by not understanding the consumers across the, the all of the devices um, is that you end up bombarding them with, with, with too much too many messages and you know, almost feel, begins to feel like spam to them so we have to be cognizant of the fact that we, we know it's, it's, it's getting that balance right but by you know being front of mind um, but not but not too much. If you think about it in, the, in a wider context of a brand, brands are under increasing pressure from from their investors to hit the quarterly targets. And so as a as a as a CMO or a marketing director, I'm 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 there every quarter on the hook to deliver the numbers. And so that leads an awful lot of of, of CMOs to to take short term measures to to hit those numbers, and that can have a negative impact in the long term on the brand itself. And so it's really difficult, but we need to try and get to a place where we're we're thinking longer term from a brand's point of view and how we protect that equity that they've built up over, you know, a number of years and and not kind of destroy that by, you know, chasing that that short term bump in sales. Absolutely, and I think you know that's very much evident when you see the way in which a little bit of data can be used by big advertisers to just hound an individual user on on the web they understand a bit of information from say uh, a, a, like a dsp and they're able to then identify where that individuals uh, well some of their intention behavior but then the individual starts to get swamped and followed around by targeting and retargeting and of course the end result of all of that is that that individual says do you know what i've had enough with advertising I'm going to get an ad blocker and boom, then suddenly 27% of the UK population has an ad blocker installed on their computer and the advertisers can't reach them. And of course, it starts to hurt publishers as well. I'm sure you guys have been working on the challenge of ad blockers. What's a longer term solution for ad blockers from an advertiser's perspective? Well, yeah, we, we actually had an event here at NEO in the autumn where we, dis- where we discussed this uh, on a panel session. And, th- and there's no one thing. I think it's a combination. Um, firstly, education uh, can play a small part. So consumers need to know that they get all the content on the, on the Internet from, from the, the publications that they visit for free because, they, because of the advertising. Now... The, the counter argument to that for a consumer is, well, I pay my, you know, I pay my monthly broadband fee, so I am paying for the internet. So there needs to be some education a- around that. Um, on our side, on the advertisers and the publishers' side, I think we need to uh, reduce the amount of advertising that's there. If you look on an awful lot of websites, there are just too many ads, and I think that just really, really puts people off. I think less is going to be more, and I think clever publishers are starting to recognise that and are starting to reduce the amount of ad slots they have on a page, um, but really, really make good use of the ones that, that they keep. As I talked about earlier, we, we, we got so obsessed with data that we forgot about uh, the creative, but we also kind of moved away from context. And so you know, the thinking was, well, if this person is reading a really high-end publication, it's going to cost me £50 CPM to serve an ad to them on that website. Why don't I wait till they go to some you know, blog forum place and serve them the ad in there because I can buy them that same user there at £1 CPM. Well, the reality is that the, the, the end user is in a totally different place, totally different mindset. So context is important. And I think premium publishers, if they get it right, could be in a pretty strong position to really 
take advantage of that. That also coupled with the fact that there's you know all the talk about ad fraud and you know and everything else and viewability, meaning if I'm a premium publisher and I can guarantee that my ads are being viewed and I can guarantee that they're being viewed on my website in an ad in an ad placement where they're not surrounded by hundreds of other ad placements, I think CPMs for publishers will go up and I think that will increase the quality of adverts. I think the creative will get better and over time maybe the consumer will start to see more value in them. And that might reduce the the level of ad blocking that we see. One other aspect I wanted to get your thoughts on was intention. At the moment, um, intention is something which is sort of measured. If you go to a um, a category of website, then you are then identified, say, as an auto intender if you've been to a car website, and then that allows your profile to be then sold on on that basis. I feel that over the next few years, there's going to be a increase in the accuracy of intention. There's going to be a number of different ways that we can bring data in, whether that be from the open banking API coming in 2019, or just better technology, or even getting consumers on board. Do you think if we're able to have greater visibility for a consumer's intention, that that's going to be more valuable to an advertiser? Yeah, because, you know, just because I've been to a car website doesn't mean I'm looking to buy a new car. And so a lot of the third party data providers aren't that sophisticated and therefore we see it you know you but you, you apply some third-party data to an ad buy and it doesn't deliver it doesn't back out it's not worth the cpm that's being charged so we certainly need to get much much more granular with 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 the actual intention and that's why i believe first party data is currently far stronger and a better better proxy than third-party data. I think that, as I talked about earlier, being able to predict what someone is going to do next is really kind of key. And if we can get to that, then you can you, you can be in the right place at the right time, rather than oh, you went to a website. Here's another ad for for said advertiser or, or whatever it is. If we actually know that that person's on a car website, but the next place they're going to go to is a is a grocery website, and we can be ready there to serve them an ad for their for their groceries. That's more valuable to me. I think predicting, being able to know when when, when someone's going to be next and what mindset they're going to be in next is is far more valuable. The data points exist out there at the moment. I mean, in terms of the amount of data which individual users creating, it's it's vast. There's now all of their their personal devices, things like Fitbits, they're carrying around which are measuring. Their, their bio signals, they're getting connected homes, you know, their Alexas and their series, which are kind of collecting more and more data points. So the amount of data is increasing, but it's all quite disparate at the moment. Do you think there's the ability to be able to somehow bring that data together in a way which would then be a, a very insightful way of identifying intention for advertisers to then use to target individuals? Yes, absolutely. Not It's not here today, but I think you know, there, there are certainly efforts being uh, made by a variety of different players from your, your, your tech giants through to the to the white goods manufacturers themselves to bring the internet of things to life. So I think that we, we, we may get there. But I think the key for a brand is to think that if this is the way that things are going in the future, how do I make sure that my brand is, is at the front of a consumer's mind at that moment of truth? How do I make sure that my brand has the right amount of equity and that, that you know, I mean, I'm, I'm part of that consideration set uh, when the consumer's ready to, to take an action? And sure, I, I needed to, as a as a brand, use da- data to deliver the right message, but I need to deliver it, you know, mindful of the consumer experience and, and do it in a polite 
almost permission-based way rather than throwing myself in front of somebody on an ongoing basis on, in the hope that they will choose me at that moment of truth. Yeah, absolutely. The word which really resonated then was the word permission, permission-based. The value exchange which seems to sit at the heart of the current advertising model seems to be one that the publisher owns the individual, their, their audience, if you like, and they sell that individual's profile in the ad exchange to an advertiser. Now, do you think that value exchange is sustainable? Um, for me, that, that value exchange where the consumer, the individual web user, doesn't have control of their own data seems a little bit anachronistic. Certainly, you know, as an industry, if we're not careful, we will, we will shoot ourselves in, increasingly in the foot by taking consumer data and, and using it in inappropriate ways to deliver spam advertising um, which will lead to more and more fury and more and more questions being asked. The, the value exchange that, that you talk about I guess is there. It, it, it just depends on, on, on what and how, uh, what data is being shared and how it's being shared by the publisher with advertisers. Is it being done in a, in a, in a compliant manner? in a lawful manner, are we then ultimately delivering advertising that is relevant to the end consumer? Because, you know, if I receive advertising that's relevant to me and is interesting, I'm happy to receive it. If it's irrelevant and unappetizing, then I view it as spam. So you, applying data does make advertising better, smarter, faster for everybody, more cost effective, uh, and at least the better consumer experiences. I'm absolutely certain of that. but. There's too many people who do it badly and, you know, make, I guess, the wider market look bad overall. We have seen the way in which programmatic has, to some degree, commoditized online media. But do you think now premium inventory, premium publishers are sort of making a comeback? You, you alluded to a couple of examples before. Yes, I do, because I, I, I believe in context and quality. I think if publishers, they reduce the number of ads on a page, that will also increase the, the value. I think that premium publishers could be in a, in a are in a strong a stronger place than they've been for a while because you know, advertisers want to be in brand safe environments. They want their ads to be viewed. They want quality placements. Um, they want the context to be right. So yes, I, I'm you know I think the future for for premium publishers is 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 probably brighter than it than it's been for a while. Are there huge challenges? Of course, you know. Nobody can get away from the fact that Facebook and Google are taking nine or nine and a half p out of every ten. Um, so you know it doesn't leave an awful lot for everyone else. But I do believe that premium publishers uh, have an opportunity to to revolutionise the way that they approach advertising and the the ad space that they they allow on their pages. I think given the opportunity to go back twenty years and to start again, would we do digital advertising the way we've done it? I don't think we would. I think we would take a much longer term view and, and, and think about where we wanted to get to. But I, I don't think it's too late. I think that there is, you know, there's a real appetite for change amongst all elements of the community. And I think, you know, I'm hearing from publishers that they're, 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 they're trying to affect that change on their end, which will which will lead to, lead to change from an advertiser as well. So looking forward to, let's say, 2025 how do you think media buying and advertising will have changed by then one of our clients have have their own cognitive bid optimizer tool so using ai and machine learning to make advertising smarter so i think again as i talk about predicting what someone's going to do next rather than kind of reacting to what they've already done i think that 
by 2025, we're going to be really smart at smart at doing that. But we we also need to get the whole creative and the context and the permission piece right. If we take that as a given, then the technology is only going to get better and stronger and, and in theory more accurate and therefore should deliver better advertising that consumers enjoy rather than put up with. You know, 2025 is, is, is an awfully long time away, but I think that you know, the technology is there. If we can break down some of those barriers around the walled gardens and, and the, the application of that single customer view, then we're at the start of the journey rather than at the end, and it's going to get pretty exciting. And, and the need for smarter and smarter people to join businesses like, like Neos is only, going to, is only going to increase. Absolutely. And what about things like programmatic outdoor? I mean, I think programmatic TV, we're probably on the, the verge of seeing that sort of come to the mainstream, but is outdoor next, digital signage? You know, what, what other big media do you think are going to be able to benefit from the technology? Well, certainly, I mean, programmatic is just a way of buying media. We're already buying programmatic out of home. We're buying programmatic radio with the likes of Spotify. We're running Sky Ad Smart campaigns for clients. So we're, we're, we're doing that already. You know, are we doing it across all clients that are huge budgets going towards it? Not at this stage, but you know, our clients are, are keen to try these things and are keen to to apply programmatic principles across different media, different channels. And so, it's 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 there. We're doing it. We're getting some great early results, and we'll continue to to move down that path with, with our with our clients. It's 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 yeah, it's exciting on that front. Where can people go to find out more about what Neo is doing? What are the sort of changes that you'd like to share with our audience and tell them about that you, you feel most excited about? Yeah, so we're neoogilvy.co.uk. Our people are what makes us different, I believe, to to some of our competitors. Uh, we have really, really smart people. We've created a really great culture here. Um, we've just announced a partnership with The Drum, actually, which is Neo's Future Stars of Digital, to showcase some of that, that amazing talent that we've got coming through our business. So we will continue to invest in our people and, and invest in, in, in their futures and their careers. They, they are what makes the difference. Yeah, technology, data, is, is, is clearly key but you still need people well matt it's been amazing to have you on the podcast and to hear so much about what neo have been doing we've covered a, a range of different topics we've covered programmatic we've covered data we've covered how we can bring that together in a way which is really creative which is at the heart of what ogilvy does of course so thank you so much for all your insights and all the examples you've shared thank you very much matt tim thank you very much for your time find more episodes at clickz.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on twitter at tim for change we'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks until then keep up to date with click z and don't forget to review us on itunes and stitcher click z the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997 providing best practice advice trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals thank you for listening and bye for now